Recovery Elevator, episode 359. And so it's nice to have kind of a variety of things that I know work for me um, that kind of nourish, nourish my soul in a way that, that makes me want to be in recovery. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's podcast episode, we have Shay. She's 42 years old. She's from Michigan and took her last drink on August 9th, 2021. Great job, Shay. Listeners, our dry January course called Restore started two days ago on the first and our second session is tonight and you can still sign up. We've got a great group of people. Then on Saturdays, starting February 5th for eight weeks, we've got our first ever sober ukulele course. I'm pumped for this one, guys. And registration opens this Friday, January 7th. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then on March 31st to April 2nd, we are in downtown Denver, Colorado for our conference-style retreat. Details on the RE website. All of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. Okay, let's get started. Listeners, I have a goal for 2022, which is better jokes on this podcast. I was listening to the last couple episodes and my goodness, (laughs) sure, I know I've got somewhat of a quirky personality and I want to be authentic, but some of the jokes made me cringe. So no guarantees, but uh, I'll work on it. Okay, let's do this. Now, I may be an idiot for saying this as a recovery podcast host on a recovery podcast, but I cannot tell you how to quit drinking. I can tell you how I quit drinking, but I cannot tell you how you're going to quit drinking. This is both shitty and great news at the same time. Shitty is in, you're going to have to do the work. There will be trial and error, many failures, many tunnels where there is no light whatsoever, and it's probably going to suck at times. The good news is you're going to start building the most important relationship in your life. This is with you, and you'll begin to recognize what your mind, body, and spirit need. Things that aren't adding value to your life will most likely be removed by you or the universe. Now this process all takes time and you don't want to rush it because you're building the foundation for the next chapter of your life. This is an empowering process that doesn't happen overnight. Again, I can't tell you how to quit drinking and beware of programs that offer extravagant promises by following a simple series of steps. Now, I'm not referring to AA here. I think AA is a fantastic program and I highly recommend it. So millions of people have successfully quit drinking, which means there are millions of correct ways to ditch the booze. We've shared hundreds of them on this podcast. Now, I can tell you the one most important thing that helped me the most is accountability. On a morning in late May of 2014, about four months before I quit drinking, I was on a houseboat trip in southern Utah at Lake Powell with my family. I had been secretly drinking on that trip for about three days before walking into my parents' room at 7.30 in the morning on day four of that trip. I woke up that morning around 5 a.m. to drink by myself. So I walked into my parents' room with no speech prepared and said, I need help. And that same day, I told my brother. Later that summer in July, I got a DUI while driving to work around 3 p.m. on a dirt road in the crazy mountains outside of Livingston, Montana. I have no idea how the cop found me. It was almost divine. I was one of three official DJs for Marlboro, and I was going to DJ at the Marlboro Ranch. I'm so glad that chapter is over. 
Anyways, when I walked outside of the jail cell the next morning, I saw my brother who flew out from Seattle. And later that day, my mom flew out from Colorado. I needed help. Badly. And had I not burned the ships with them earlier that year, the outcome probably would have been much different because I had no intention of telling them. But since I had already done this, guess who I called with my one phone call? My brother. And by the way, the one phone call thing isn't really a thing. I remember being there in my suicide-proof jail cell, wearing what I can only describe as a large padded taco, saying, uh, hello there, excuse me, don't I get my one phone call? And I remember the officer, who was friendly, he was laughing, saying, uh, yeah, that's a thing from the movies. But since I was being respectful, they wheeled me over a phone. So the reason why accountability is so important, and we call this burning the ships here at Recovery Elevator, is because it leads to community. It leads to connection, which is the opposite of addiction. So here we are, listeners, the first episode of 2022. Again, I'm going to work on better jokes, but my number one goal this year is to be sober, to log another year alcohol-free. If so, I'll hit eight years alcohol-free on September 7th, but I'm not there yet. Now, I don't like to announce my time away from alcohol often on this podcast, because when I do so, almost instantly an image comes to mind that Paul Churchill has it all figured out, that he's so much further down the road than me. Now, I've got a hell of a lot more shit figured out now than I did eight years ago when I was drinking. My life was a fucking mess. I was terrified. I was too afraid to live, and I didn't know it. So I want to be clear. Yes, it's been a minute since my last drink, but just because we have enlightened Eckhart Tolle quotes in the intro music of this podcast, and I'm the host, doesn't mean that I've got it, or I've got it figured out. In fact, I was listening to Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, a couple days ago, and several times I said to myself, what in the dog crap is he talking about? But listeners, I think the growth I'm most proud of is my ability to recognize the insanity of my own thinking mind. And every single person on the planet suffers from this, some more acutely than others. And I'm wondering, have you all seen the Disney movie Luca? One of the characters names their thinking mind Bruno. And every time this voice starts up with the regular bullshit the character says, Silencio Bruno. Uh, I don't know why it's silencio. Occasionally, I watch movies in Spanish to, uh, to practice Spanish and keep up on that. So you can say, silence Bruno, if you would like. Okay, so most of my anxiety is gone that I've removed alcohol from my life. But occasionally, it shows up again. Same with fear. But now, I'm able to distinguish the voice and say, silencio Bruno. Sometimes it's, hey, Bruno, did you just hear me? I said, shut the f*** up. I can override this voice where before I couldn't because I wasn't aware of the voice. Usually this voice comes at me with scenarios that will never happen. At least I've recognized that much. Another thing I'm extremely thankful for is it appears I can roll with the punches easier. Let's chat about the events that unfolded for me just this morning. I sat on my couch this morning to drink my coffee and an alert went off on my phone that said, Ben, PetSmart grooming appointment right now. Oops, I thought it was tomorrow. I live 20 minutes away from PetSmart, so I got Ben in the car and we started driving ASAP. On the way, I'm trying to call PetSmart, but no luck. They then call me and I say, hey, I'm on the way. They say, you've got five minutes. I get there in six and luckily they cut me a break. And then in the check-in process, I remembered that Ben had a spot removed on his neck about a week ago and he still has stitches. They can't cut his hair and next appointment is late January. I felt my body take a big inhale, and then I exhaled and said, oh well, it doesn't matter. 
And listeners, this is life. I get it. But there was a time in my life when I wasn't able to cope. And this would have ruined my morning, my day, my week, month, year, my life. (laughs) You get the point. So think about naming that voice, which is usually the teeth of a drinking problem, and say, Silencio Bruno. Again, Silence Bruno, Silencio Bruno, however you want to say it. And before we hear from Odette and Shay, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. I've been taking Exact Nature's sleepy CBD pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC-free and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you, Paul, for a wonderful introduction. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Shay to the show today. Shay, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm really happy that we're getting to chat. So thank you for giving us an hour of your time. And let's get right to it, Shay. When was the last time you had a drink? Uh, so my, my last drink date was August 9th of 2021. How are you feeling? I am feeling really good overall. Been like a little over 100 and I think 113 days today. So I feel really good. Congrats. That's a huge compliment. And Shay, before we get into alcohol talk, can you let us know a little bit about yourself? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I live in Michigan. I am 42 years old. I um, have two boys who are eight and nine years old right now. I am a full-time physician assistant in cardiac surgery in a hospital in Detroit, Michigan. And I am also in law school part-time. For fun, I like to ride my Peloton, (laughs) which I think we've talked about, and do yoga, uh, meditation, recovery-related activities, and travel especially is amazing. Yeah, I know that um, we talk about our love for the Peloton on here, (laughs) and Paul, our founder, does not have a Peloton and probably (laughs) could care less about Peloton, so I try to not obsess on here as much as I probably could, but I know we're both Peloton lovers. And I know that there is a percentage of more of us out there listening. I've heard (laughs) if if you know, you know, and that's all that needs to be said. (laughs) No, you know what? And bottom line is that just exercise is an amazing tool. And I just love, um, hearing from people that are sharing these messages that are not just part of recovery, but about self-confidence and mental health. And I do feel like a lot of their instructors focus more on the mental strength component versus the change in your body. And I really value that. So I'm always going to preach for them. And I love that we have that in common, Shay. And let us know a little bit about your journey with alcohol, Shay. Let us know how it all started, how it developed, what got you to quit and just what was your journey with alcohol and what continues to be that process for you? Sure. So basically I was a pretty like good kid and in quotation mark up until my senior year of high school. And then I, I developed my senior year of high school. I, I was struggling with a lot of like childhood trauma and I think it all just came to a head. And so I started to 
develop behaviors to kind of like cope with the trauma that I had faced. And first it was an eating disorder. So it manifested itself that way. And then I turned to alcohol. So I started like hanging out with a group of people that I hadn't really been friends with closely prior to that in school. Um, and they were, you know, heavily into drugs and alcohol. And so I, I did it and I, I started to drink and immediately felt that freedom. And I never really was afraid of anything. So like I started, you know, smoking pot and, and uh, drinking alcohol, and then it escalated very quickly to harder drugs. And again, I just never felt like I was afraid of anything. I knew obviously logically that it, it was not a smart decision, but I think part of it was I was in so much pain. I just wanted um, some freedom and the substances I thought gave, helped to give me that freedom. So eventually I basically got addicted to heroin. I was, I was 18 and became pretty heavily addicted. I went and moved to Boston for college for a couple of years. So I didn't do heroin while I was there, but I did drink almost every day. And I was actually, I, I spent a summer on Martha's Vineyard and I was drinking like around the clock pretty much. And that's when someone there told me I was an alcoholic and they took me to my first AA meeting. And I was I'm pretty sure I was drunk when I was there. And I'm looking around at these, you know, old people in my mind, I'm 18 at the time and <laughs> thinking like, who are these people and what's wrong with them? Like, they all just seemed like, why would anyone do this? But again, it was just that, that sense of invincibility and, and cognitive dissonance. And, you know, just thinking like I was above it all and, and I didn't have a problem. I, I didn't need help and I could handle it. So anyways, I, I came back from Boston because I couldn't handle it. Um, the alcohol definitely started to interfere with my studies and I came home a little defeated and then turned, turned back into the heavy drugs and got heavily, heavily addicted to heroin, got into a lot of legal trouble. I, I got 11 felonies within two years from mostly from credit card fraud and then possession charges. I was looking at serious prison time and instead of going to prison, I think, I don't know, it was a lot of luck, but um, the judge granted me the ability to go into this adult treatment court program. So um, I was 22 years old at that time and I was in jail. I spent three months in jail and then I was uh, from jail taken to a lockdown rehab facility. So that was my first like real exposure to rehabilitation and recovery. So I did that. I, after that, I, I lived in a three-quarter house um, and I, I started going to AA meetings and that was really helpful. I got a sponsor. I found that AA was a little more helpful to me than, than NA at the time. And this was way back in 2002. I, I didn't even have a cell phone and I don't think podcasts existed yet. So it's funny now, like being in recovery and having all of these tools, but Regardless, I, I worked the steps and slowly, slowly with a lot of hard work, got my life back together. I went back to college and went to finish up my undergrad and, and went to PA school and got married and had kids. And then after 13 years of, of uh, alcohol recovery and, and drug recovery, I decided that I wasn't an alcoholic anymore, that I wasn't an addict anymore. And I didn't want to do drugs, but because alcohol is so socially prevalent and socially acceptable, uh, and I was married to a man who drank 
and didn't have a problem with alcohol. I just thought I could do it. I, I convinced myself that I had recovered. I convinced myself that I could, to, could moderate, that I could manage my drinking, that I would just have a couple here and there with him or with friends and be totally fine. And so I remember like telling him and he knew my history. I told him like, yeah, I think I'm ready. I think I'm going to drink again. And I think I'm, I can do it. And he was hesitant, but again, like he's not an alcoholic. So he didn't, <laughs> he was like, well, I guess if you think so. And I knew deep down that it was probably not a good idea, but I didn't let those thoughts, um, you know, supersede my desire to drink. So I, you know, I still remember that first drink. Um, and that was in 2015, my relapse. And I had the, like, even before I had a glass of wine, even before the, the glass was finished, I was already in my head thinking about how I could order another one. And then just going through like in my head that, that rat race of like, well, how soon can I order it? How are we going to get another one after that? I don't want him to think that I'm going to be drinking too much, but I still, I need to drink more. Like I can't just have one. Maybe I can convince him to stop at the store on the way home. Like all of this crate, like it was like a light switch. And just after 13 years, I was right back into that line of thinking. Now, obviously, like at this time I was older, I had a career, I had kids and a family and all these things. Um, so on the outside, it was a very different thing in, in the social acceptability of it. But internally, I was just miserable. And over the course of the next five, six years, I progressively got worse. And I, I guess I would describe myself as a high functioning alcoholic, but I was a binge drinker. I, I would, you know, dr drink to black out. If I wasn't going to black out, I didn't see the point. I, you know, I wanted to get, I didn't understand how anyone could not finish a drink. That was just, just like blasphemy to mm. me. <laughs> like you go out and you see people like half, half drunk glasses of wine or whatever. I'm like, it just it, mind blowing to me that someone wouldn't like lick the bottom of the, the glass. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, essentially what happened was I, I just got worse and worse. I started to search for things outside of myself to try to find peace. Um, I knew I wasn't happy. I, I started doing like spiritual things and traveling and, and yoga and the Peloton and, and go to law school and get a divorce and all of these things outside of myself thinking like those, those would fix me, but really it was the alcohol <laughs> and I just wasn't ready to let it go, but it finally got bad enough. And thank God, nothing happened. Um, too terribly outside of myself internally. I was in a, a suicidal, uh, you know, I was, I was absolutely a mess emotionally. Um, but I didn't get arrested. I didn't, you know, thank God, nothing. I didn't hurt anyone, um, other than myself. Well, I mean, at least physically. Strangely, that is such a, I don't want to say, you know, what's better, what's worse, but just that is such a different kind of struggle when you, you know, I feel like half of your story, it's almost like two people, like the young mm -hmm. part of your story when you were, I mean, a lot happened before you even turned 22 and the, and the, yeah. and, and all of that feels like, man, you know, I'm glad she got help, you know, 11 felonies, all of that stuff that looks like so tangible in terms of damage, in terms of, it is very evident that like Shay should 
get help or whatever. And then the other half, like the post 25 Mm -hmm. post uh, family, you know, success and all of this stuff that is what we can only see on the outside. That's almost harder to justify in terms of not only like the inner denial that we battle with, because I'm sure you had your like lucid moments of like, Oh yeah. You know, it's a drinking, but then it's this convincing each other back and forth, this push, pull, push, pull. I love how we just want evidence. Like there's not enough (laughs) evidence to prove like we should stop because it just doesn't, it's not physical or tangible. And that's so crazy because I feel like so many people share that journey, you know, whether it's like you said, high functioning or binge drinkers or blackout drinkers, but it is the silent suffering that is harder to not only justify, but even explain to other people. Cause I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, it's frustrating to me. I I don't know if it feels more frustrating because I relate to you and I sometimes feel like people don't get it because obviously they don't, they're not in my head, but it is this mental Yeah. It's like you're living two lives, you know? I mean, so I was definitely living two lives. I was, I was the mom at the school drop-off. I was the, the PA saving people's lives at work. Mm. I was the studious law student, you know, I was all these things, but really I was a suicidal, hopeless alcoholic who, who was so felt so alone and defeated that nothing, none of those things mattered, you know, and I really didn't have the will to live anymore. And, and thank God again, like nothing crazy happened. And it is, has, has been such a different experience this time around. And, you know, especially knowing what I needed to do and knowing what was out there as far as recovery. And, you know, there's like those moments and I've been listening to the, and the podcasts have been just absolutely amazing for me. And, you know, just being able to be in my car, cause I am very busy, obviously. So, and I still do go to AA and I, I find that helpful to a certain degree. Um, but there are definitely things about AA that I don't like, And so it's nice to have kind of a variety of things that I know work for me um, that kind of nourish, nourish my soul in a way that, that makes me want to be in recovery. And it's almost like medicine, you know, like the, the, the community of AA and the steps of AA, those work for me, you know, obviously, again, there are things that I, that I don't love about it, but just knowing that there are a million different avenues that I can choose it, but it's up to me to make that decision and then act on it. So yeah, it's, it's been just such an amazing experience this time around. I mean, and it was, it's not to like discount it the first time around because that was a different kind of amazing experience, but, um, it really has been meaningful so far. So I know that you shared that there wasn't anything, luckily anything big that happened or tragic or one of these, uh, stereotypical rock bottom moments that got you to this streak, Uh, Was it just, you know, you woke up one morning and you're like, today's the day or how was that end Mm -hmm. of drinking and beginning of sobriety chapter recently for you? What kind of catapulted that into action? So I think like over the course of the the year prior to me finally 
putting the bottle down, it really progressed. So I got divorced. I moved out. I, I um, bought a house in a year ago, a little over a year ago. So I was living alone and I had the kids only half the time. So my, my drinking really started to escalate when that happened. I was alone. I didn't have to hide it. I didn't have to hide bottles anymore. And then because of that, I, I started like all the bars, you know, I had all these rules in my head that I had made up like, okay, I won't drink, um, before work or, or like the night before work, you know, I, cause I don't want to be hung over the next day. All right. I'll only drink twice a week <laughs> or I'll only drink wine, <laughs> you know, like all these crazy rules that it's very common, um, that I hear people say, you know, to try and moderate, to try and control the drinking and then slow, like I won't drink in the morning, all these things. So slowly over the course of a few months, every single rule that I had in place, I broke and it got worse and worse. And then I found myself drinking in the morning. Um, and I found myself drinking and driving and I found myself not again, just, I think the mental anguish. I mean, I had two times where I called suicide hotlines. Like I didn't know what to, I thought, you know, I didn't want to live. And so I think, you know, there were a few, I would wake up, I blacking out, I would wake up in the morning, bruises all over me, not knowing like what, what did I run into? And I had fallen or, you know, and, and one time I, I um, busted, I fell and I busted my chin and I woke up, I don't even remember it happening. And I woke up, my shirt was covered in blood. So, you know, I mean, these things, it kind of, it was like a cumulative effect, I would say. And finally it just, I had had enough pain and it got bad, at least like emotionally painful enough for me to, to surrender and to be like, I quit. I just can't do it anymore. And, um, so yeah, it was just, it was not really like anything. I and mean, it was my birthday. So like I had a, a pretty big bender. Um, my birthday was August 8th and that carried into like, I drank all night. And then the next morning I had a dentist appointment and I drank before my dentist appointment on the ninth. And, you know, I was drunk at my dentist appointment and, and then, you know, basically I was supposed to get my kids that day and I was too drunk to take care of them. I couldn't do it. So I, my ex husband, uh, didn't drop them off and, and, you know, there were some phone calls made and I think that was it. It was, it was what I needed. Um, I finally had enough pain. And so I, I looked up zoom AA meetings on zoom and, and started to, I started to do that. And it was just such a relief it was like coming home again. Oh, Shay, that had to be so hard. I'm so proud of you. And you had to muster so much strength, especially at the beginning where it sounds like your mind was made up and you were committed to the decision. But then I also feel like there's this other half, which is the body catching up to the decision and the detoxing and the feeling, the physical cravings. How was that like first week, first couple of days and how, what got you through? Yeah, I really didn't have physical, like physiologic cravings. I wasn't, you know, thankfully I, I, I was, I didn't have a tolerance. I considered going to a rehab just to like get out of, of the, the environment and change and, you know, be kind of submerged and immersed in, in a recovering kind of environment. But, um, 
it, unfortunately there, I couldn't get in anywhere. And this is like a whole nother hard thing for people, especially with COVID and just mental health in general, like the resources are so hard to find sometimes. And I am lucky, like I have a job and I have insurance and, you know, I just can't imagine it, it just hurt. Like that's, that's a whole nother topic, but yeah. So I, I guess it was more for me just breaking those habits um, in the first three weeks. So I did two meetings pretty much every day. And whether it be in Zoom or in person, I started, I went to some AA meetings in person. I got phone numbers. Uh, I started talking to people that I had known in recovery from before. I told on myself, I told, you know, everyone that was close to me that what I was doing. So like burning the bridges and burning the ships and all those things um, that we talk about. I guess it's the ships, not the bridges. I already had burned all the bridges. <laughs> I had to burn the ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the bridges were gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's time to burn the ships, but just, you know, be accountable and be honest. And, and it was hard. It was really hard um, because at that time, like in the early stages physically, I mean, yeah, I felt like crap. Um, my sleep schedule was crazy. I was probably dehydrated and malnourished to a certain extent, but you know, and then there's the emotional stuff too, but the, the, the habitual, like the routine that I had created for myself, like, you know, I had to break that. And so it's not easy, but basically I just did it. (laughs) And so I, if I knew like there was a time when I would drink, I would be on a meeting or I would be listening to a podcast and it really wasn't as long as I thought it would be. But after like two weeks, the craving, I didn't really have any more cravings. And I, I don't now I would say like every once in a while I'll get a, a thought or something like, uh, and then it, it's almost like kind of funny when that happens. Cause I'll be like, Whoa, where did that? Cause I'll be like, yeah. everything could be going great. And then it'll be like, oh, I should have a drink. And I'm like, what? Like, where did that even come from? (laughs) But that's just alcoholism, I think, you know, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's just like, again, it's so ingrained and it it was my coping mechanism for so long. Yeah. So So. smart of you to just, I feel like that needs to be normalized. um, Mm -hmm. At least for, I feel like I share this about me and some people have shared that they relate is when those things happen, when you're like, where did that come from? Because it does happen. I used to just get stuck in this loop of like, why did it happen? Oh yeah. No, I don't do that. I just like, that's, it's so not productive, I think. And it's like that thing. So like in AA again, like there are great things and there are things I don't like. So I try to take the great things away. And again, like one of the things that you hear all the time is when you focus on the problem, the problem gets bigger. And when you focus on the solution, the solution gets bigger. And that is so just, it's such a truth and it's applicable, not just to recovery, but to everything in life. And so obviously it's not possible to do that. We're not, we're not like, I'm not at least a a Buddhist saint or whatever. Like I, I'm a human being with flaws and emotions and all of the things, but I understand and realize that I do have a responsibility to take responsibility for myself, for my thoughts, for my emotions. And that doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to feel them, but what I do with them is my responsibility. Um, And so 
most of the time I'm able to do, you know, I need to put sleep, make sleep a priority. I need to eat well. I need to exercise. I need to meditate. I need to do yoga, like all of these things to keep my, my physical body and my spiritual body, um, fit, you know, because it's that thinking that, Mm -hmm. that gets me in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a thinking disease they say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm curious because you did share that right at the beginning, you know, when you did start picking up the drink and the drugs, uh, it was clearly from the start, a coping mechanism or a tool to just deal with life. That's why we say it works until it doesn't. So what do you use now to cope with challenging situations, maybe not so much cravings, but like just life happening when life happens, what are your coping mechanisms? Therapy. I mean, I, I am a huge fan of therapy. I think that like, you know, psychotherapy or whatever you want to call it, behavioral therapy, whatever kind works for you. And that I've been in therapy pretty much most of my life. And, and I just think it's like maintenance, um, being able to talk to someone and there's such a stigma, obviously, you know, it's getting better around mental health stuff. And I, I would, you know, I hope that I can help tell my story. Like that's something I want to do, you know, on, on a higher level is be able to tell my story and be like, you know, it's okay. It's okay to admit that you're struggling. It's okay to admit, you know, that you're not okay. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, I do therapy on a weekly basis. I I try to, you know, again, I know what works for me, but I'm 42 years old. You know, it's taken me my whole life to figure that out. Um, And it's still a work, I'm still a work in progress. And I think you evolve and you change as you, as you grow and you age. And so those things, you know, the things that used to work may not work for you. So it's also about being open and flexible to those changes and understanding that, you know, what works for me may not work for you and what works for me may not work for me tomorrow, but that doesn't mean I can give up. You know, I have to keep searching and keep being willing to be open to whatever works, um, whatever can, can help me and help me help others. Yeah. And it's that permission to change. I know you said it right now really well. You know what, what works today may not work tomorrow. And I do feel like giving ourselves that permission to change and grow. It sounds so like obvious, but then we don't because we get set in our ways. And when things get different or when things stop working, we go down, like we just said, those rabbit holes of like, why not? That was working before, you know, instead of just being like, oh, I guess I just kind of shed a layer of my skin. And now this is this is the now and what do I need to do right now? You know, so it is such a journey of self honesty. And I really commend you because I can hear that through your story and your testimony, just how you've been self honest and brutally honest with yourself to where you have to check yourself and you only you can do that. Nobody else knows the ways you can justify it or the little lies that you can make up. It truly boils down to you and the conversations that you have with yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so true. And you said, Shay, that you felt freedom when Mm -hmm. you used when you were younger. Now that you're 42 years old, you know, you're busy, you have purpose. What feels freeing to you? What gives you that sense of freedom? I mean, not, oh my gosh, not drinking now is honestly, it's, I can't even describe. So like the, the freedom that I thought I felt, it wasn't 
true freedom. It was an escape. And like you said, it, it works until it doesn't. And it, it really just, I think, suppresses those things. And those things have to be dealt with at some point. And so, you know, again, through therapy and through whatever outlet outlets work for people. And, and again, I think that's different for everybody. You know, you just have to keep, keep trying different things. But the freedom for me now, uh, I just can't believe how much, even though I'm insanely busy, <laughs> like busier than I think I even realized, I still feel like I have so much more time because my mental energy is not focused on uh, drinking or, or planning, you know, planning my drinking. Um, that took up so much mental energy. Like I have to go to this gas station because I went to this, this other one yesterday and I can't go there because they'll see me again. And I bought two bottles of wine there yesterday. And they're going to be like, why does she need more wine today? Like, you know, it's just, or like, I have to go to the store before they close or like, you know, I have to make sure I have enough alcohol so that I don't have to go out again. Cause I don't want to drive drunk. Right. You know, so just all of that, like, oh my God, it's just, and physically, um, the feel, I feel so much better and being able to sleep, like actually sleep and give my body rest instead of like passing out drunk and not actually like having any REM. So <laughs> I mean, that's, and then this freedom to like be myself too, and not be ashamed of who I am and ashamed of, of what I did. And that is definitely not always easy, but I think like, finally I'm opening up to, cause like, again, nobody I work with and pretty much nobody I go to school with knows anything about my past or, or any of it. So it's, it's still, even now is almost as if I'm living a double life, but I really, you know, like doing stuff like this, um, I think my main purpose, at least for now, my perception of it is to help other people. And like, I, I know I was given a lot of, of, a lot of grace and that makes me want to give it back in whatever way that I can. Yes. That gratitude component, you feel it and, and, you know, you're right about the freedom you, you called it freedom, but then. It, it wasn't really freedom. It's one of those things that, you know, all the promises that alcohol makes is exactly what it robs us from. It's a, it's a perfect example of that. And I'm glad you are on the other side, really experiencing the definition of it. And, you know, like you said, it does have its challenges. So I do want to ask, you know, what is hard right now, whether in sobriety or what has come to light that has been a result of doing this work? Because so many other things get tricky once we do decide to get sober. Yeah. I think like learning how to communicate with people, which I think is hard for everyone, <laughs> whether you're in recovery or not. And, and, and the emotional stuff, you know, when, when emotions come up, not, you know, I think it's uh, again, taking responsibility for my actions. So like say something happens and it causes, you know, me to feel an emotion. I I'm able to recognize that and sit with that and not judge it as a bad or good or, or, or whatever it is, what it is. And then kind of take a step back and try and figure out what I'm going to do with it instead of just like a knee jerk reaction. You know how, like, if you spill hot coffee on yourself, you know, you're going to like jump. So, but that's how I was to emotional things too, before. 
So I'm, I'm learning how to not react that way and how to um, interact with people, you know, in, in a meaningful way that isn't creating more pain, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is funny that you mentioned this because just a couple of hours ago, I was listening to Brandon Brown. She was talking about mm -hmm. her new book that is coming out. I think it's yeah. going to be called Atlas of the Heart or something like that. And I relate to her a lot in her mm -hmm. story growing up. She was saying how um, this hypervigilance hyper yeah. is yeah. Uh, a skill that a lot of people, you know, call a superpower like anything. There's two sides because she yeah. grew up in this environment where mm -hmm. she she had to learn how to protect herself. And, you know, I'm totally paraphrase, paraphrasing this, but sure. long story short, she said, you know, it's, of course, a skill, but I've also learned that I cannot be hypervigilant and calm at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like I have to drop one of them. And she's like me, I felt like really seen because I sometimes I'm tired of being so hypervigilant. Yeah. Like, why can't I just freaking relax? Like, just why can't I just be stop waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know, yeah. and, and I know that that comes attached to a lot of our journeys and like that is exhausting in a way. So it's almost like dealing with these things that are still with us, even though now we're sober and really learning to, you know, pivot and leverage them in the right way. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I think it is possible. Um, I, too. I do too. I'm an optimist. I, I feel like you're yeah. an optimist too. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I, I feel like I, you know, there are moments, there are moments that I'm able to do that, you know? And, and again, it, it's not always by any means. I mean, I have sh crappy days, definitely and hormones. And I mean, all these things are real. Like we're human beings. We're, we have bodies that, that can betray us sometimes. Yes. <laughs> but um, that being said, you know, on those days, sometimes I just have to be okay with just not being okay and accept that and know like, cause I do, I want to feel good all the time. Like <laughs> yeah. I want to feel good all the time. I am dopamine seeking like by nature, but that's just not possible, nor I don't think it's, you know, a good place to live all the time. Like he, he, being human is, is messy. It's not pretty all the time. Um, it's hard. And, and the thing about like the hard times and those darker days is that when you get through them and make it to the other side, you realize that you've learned something and you are, are stronger than you were before that. The other thing that happens with what you were saying about always wanting to feel good. I noticed <laughs> we are always mirroring to other people what we want to. So for me, at least one of the biggest lessons too, and I really am exploring this in my relationship specifically at home is that I'm chasing that. And then I'm also expecting for everyone around me to be exactly on the same wavelength yeah. and page yeah. that I'm on. So my expectations are so unfair of others. Yes. And, then, and then that turns into judgment and then that turns yeah. into resentment. And then it's just right. a total yeah. shit show. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's a whole, yes. And I think, I don't know. I mean, as, as women, as mothers, you know, there's a whole nother layer there and that's not to discount men or anything like that. But, but as a mother, I think it's important to recognize because, you know, we have that it's like, it's physiologic that, that innate need to care, 
to, to take care of something. Right. But sometimes that can, can manifest itself in unhealthy ways. And, you know, with kids, it's hard. It's really hard because the lack of control, you know, there's, they don't come with directions. They don't come with rule books and they have, they all have their own personalities and, and all of it. And, you know, how, how do we, I think, I don't know, for alcoholics and eating disorders, all of it's like that control thing, like letting that go and doing the best you can. And then understanding that at some point you can't do anymore. And you have to accept what other people are doing as what they need to be doing. It's a lot easier to do that with adults than when you, with your own children. But it's, again, it's a work in progress. Yeah, total work in progress. I really just appreciate your candidness and just willingness to be vulnerable because it does get hard. And I do think that kids are a whole other, <laughs> there should be like a sober parents podcast somewhere. Yeah, I know there's a lot of sober podcasts yeah. in general, but I do feel like it's a niche because they are yes. the, biggest, the biggest blessing and the biggest trigger at the same time. Oh, <laughs> totally. Absolutely. And we need to counteract all the, the wine, mommy wine me. Yeah. It's a lot, Shay, but thank you so much for your time. We are going to move over to the rapid fire round. So if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Yes. All right. If you could talk to Shay on day one or young Shay, what would you say? Day one of recovery? Yes. Or, okay. or a younger version of yourself. Oh, um, I would tell her that she is enough. That, that you are enough. What has recovery made possible for you? Oh, uh, well, being able to spend time with my kids um, and be fully present, um, not all of the time again, but at least some of the time. And, you know, before when I was drinking, I couldn't wait for them to go to bed so that I could start drinking. And now I, you know, I'll, we'll just be sitting on the couch watching a show together, you know, just very simple things. And I'll, like look at the way their, their hair lays on their face or the way they smell, or, you know, just being able to really like take in those moments and, and appreciate those moments. Just presence. What a gift. Yeah. Shay, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me. So I don't like ice cream, which I know, like, I, I didn't want to tell you that because I thought you might not let me on the podcast, but I'm sorry. I, I, what is I, your favorite dessert? We'll okay. leave it at that. I also don't like dessert, but I'm a salt person. So like I live off of chips and salsa. The best, okay. the best. Don't worry. Remember I'm Mexican okay. chips and I know. salsa okay, good. totally counts. You're good. <laughs> okay, good. We're still on the same team. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, Shay. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Oh, there's, there's so much possible out there for you that you may not even realize. And with, with, with recovery, honestly, anything is possible, literally anything. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own, you may have to say adios to booze if line. Oh yeah. Okay. So if you are finding bottles <laughs> in your basement, um, empty bottles in your basement in, in old boxes, and you don't remember putting them there. Oh, Shay, I'm so glad that we are on this journey together now and we can just talk about the Peloton versus. Oh, all yes. Other Robin. Yes. 
Oh, it was great having you. I can't wait to share this with all of our listeners. I appreciate you. And I know we'll be in touch. I really love what you're doing with your social media as well. So we'll make sure to give you a little shout out on the show notes and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. This was so great. And I just, I really appreciate the opportunity The everyone else who's been on and you especially have helped me so much. So it feels good to be able to give back. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, Shay. You too. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to remind you that this is a great time to set intentions and maybe make some goals that can give your life just some direction towards your intentions. What would you like to have happen this year? What would you like to do, accomplish, or work towards? What good would you like to attract into your life? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's scary to sit down and write out what I would want. Like all these amazing things. Am I worth it? Will they even happen? Is it silly to write all of these things down? Is it worth it? Am I worth it? I already said that, right? Am I worth it? You get what I'm saying. Sometimes writing positive things or positive outcomes feels counterintuitive. So I want to challenge you right now. It's the first Monday of the year, and it's a great time to shift a little bit in your thought and challenge yourself. So write it down before you change your mind. Take a piece of paper and write down what you would like to have happen in your life this year. Recovery Elevator, remember that you're not alone and together is always better. I love you guys. thinking.